we're looking at another uh, hero of the Bible, and that's David. Now, when Jonathan said, you can have David, anything that you want at all about David, you start thinking, well, there's uh, 66 chapters about David in the Bible. There's um, over 50 references to him in the New Testament. And he wrote an, a lot of the Psalms. So there's a lot to choose from. And I thought it would be good just to get you talking in ones and twos or twos and threes, just for a minute. Why is David a hero for you? Okay, off you go. One minute, I'll time you. Okay, minute up. Would anybody like to shout out, why is David a hero for you? Just shout out. A worshipper, yeah. Yes, man after God's own heart. Sorry? A man under authority. Did you say? Yeah. Yeah. Very human, yes. I'm sure as you talk together, the lots of different things were coming out. Um, and it may have been, I'm sure somebody somewhere said, he killed giants. Uh, maybe some of you have talked about how good and skilled he was at leadership. And it is all true. Everything that I've heard is true. But tonight, I want to look at one thing that was said of him that was already shared in what you said to each other, that he is a man after God's own heart. And there's one psalm that I want to look at that we'll read now, uh, that Simon will read to us. Uh, the reading is taken from the Old Testament, and it's Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all of your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made his ways known to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far 
has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Simon. So before we get to the, uh, that phrase, a man after God's own heart, and before we get to Psalm 103, just a very brief potted history of David to give you the background. So he lived roughly a thousand years before Jesus. He was of the tribe of Judah, with his grandmother being Ruth, the Moabite lady. Um, he was born in Bethlehem in the land of Judah. He was the youngest of eight sons. And as a boy and growing up into his teens, he tended the flock, the family sheep. So he was a shepherd. Round about the age of 14, we can't be sure, but probably round about the age of 14, when he was already described as a handsome, healthy young man, or in another uh, version, ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. So that, that was the, around about 14 he was anointed. And he's described by one of Saul's servants. And so Saul is the man who was king when David was growing up and shepherding and um, before he became king. So he was described by one of Saul's servants as a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing the harp, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. And those qualities led him to playing the harp for Saul at times, a skilled musician, especially in times when Saul was oppressed by evil spirits. And he was also an armor bearer for Saul at times. And in between times, he'd go back and tend the family flocks and sheep and back in Saul's court. And he famously fought Goliath and won. And he wasn't the small boy. He was a youth. And if youth means anything like it means in West Africa where I worked, that could be anywhere between 15 and 25. But anyway, as a youth, he, um, he fought Goliath and won. And then he won other battles, and won so, battles so much so that Saul became exceedingly jealous, which caused David to have to go on the run. And during the years on the run, he took an army of nobodies and transformed them into a disciplined, uh, cohesive army that did exploits. And eventually, at the age of 30, he became king. He reigned for 40 years. Firstly, for the first seven years, he reigned only over 
Judah, the area of Judah, but after seven years over the wider territory of all Israel. And in his leadership as king, Israel became the strongest power in the then known world. Interestingly, it seems that it's only after he becomes king and his troubles seem to ease quite a bit and he's comfortable that the big sins that we sort of know about and think, oh, they happened when he was at more at ease. And I do wonder sometimes, when we are comfortable and not having to lean on God, those are the times we can trip more easily. But that's an aside, that's nothing really to do with my talk. But I don't want to concentrate on any of those things. That is just to give you a background about David very briefly. As I said, I want to look at that phrase, a man after God's own heart, and look quite a bit at parts of Psalm 103. This description, a man after God's own heart, is only used of David. No other man or woman in the Bible has that said of him or her. And it's used for the first time in 1 Samuel 13 and 14. And this is when Saul has disobeyed God very directly. And the prophet Samuel comes to him and says, uh, oh, it's 14, sorry. It's 13, 14, I must have missed. Thank you. <laughs> but now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. So that's the first reference. And David is that appointed ruler. And then there's a second reference when it comes again, and that's in Acts 13, 22. And here we read, um, Paul uh, is actually preaching at this stage, and he says, After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So what is it in that verse there in Acts 32 that seems to be the link of being a man after God's own heart? It seems to be that he is doing everything God wants him to do. So there's a direct link between heart and obedience. There is actually a lot more to having your heart being after God's own heart than obedience, but it is one of the key things. And when I was starting this, I was thinking, yes, I knew God wanted me to speak on having a heart after God's own heart. And I thought, yes, I'll speak about loving God, worshipping God. But then God nudged me to have a look at what does heart really mean in the Old Testament. And again, take that back to Bible translation days when I was doing Bible translation. I, I, I found out quite early on that um, heart can mean different things in different places. So with great enthusiasm, our translation helper had said, we have exactly the same phrase when it came to talking about how the disciples' hearts burned within them when Jesus had risen from the dead and was explaining the, the scriptures to them. Uh, so we, we just put exactly the right translation down. The, the translation helper was, yeah, 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 this works, it's right. When it came to the time to look at it again and back translate, so somebody took the language we were translating it into, translated it back to us in French, he said, 
the disciples were so angry. I thought, oh. <laughs> but hearts burning in English can mean something very different to what it meant in the language we were translating. And so God actually nudged me to have a look at heart as I prepared for this. And as I looked at that, I found that today, when we talk about heart, we think very much of emotions, don't we? But in Bible times, it actually meant much, much more. It did mean emotions. It included emotions. Obviously, it was the pumping organ that sends blood around our bodies. But besides emotions, it was also the place of moral activity. It was a place of intellectual activity. It was a place of a person's will. And suddenly, the talk that I thought I was going to do began to talk across there. And so um, I will look at Psalm 103 and see how we see these things. And if you want a sort of a little key for what heart really means, it's the hidden inter interior. The thing that, that, the, the, the thing that isn't seen, not just emotions, but anything that isn't seen, the hidden interior is the, the meaning of um, the heart. So what we're saying is that to have a heart after God's heart is not just related to feelings and emotions, but something that affects our entire being, our minds, our thoughts, our will, our activity, as well as our emotions. And when these are aligned and working together, there's an internal harmony. There's a cohesion between what we're saying and how we live. And there is also a strength within our Christian lives because we're not just dependent on one aspect more than another. So if emotions aren't feeling great, we have the will that says, I am committed to this. Um, or another aspect may come to the fore. So anyway, back to David. What can we see of these aspects of his heart in the psalm we read? And how can we personally apply it so that emotions and actions and thoughts and will line up? It could take ages to do this. In fact, it could take several weeks. You could take one every week. So again, it will just be brief. But uh, here, here goes. First of all, with emotions. David was a man who loved God deeply and praised him with all he had. One of those reasons why we think he's a hero is because he was a man of worship. And as we look at verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 103, you can, you can actually sense his love overflowing and tumbling out as you read, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And you can see that Hebrew, Hebraic idea of the inner part, the inmost part. He says, all my inmost being, not just emotions, but everything within in him, praises God. And in other Psalms, he declares quite openly and quite freely, I love you, Lord. And... Um, as we grow in our relationship with God, we should expect him to touch our emotions. As a young Christian, um, I became a Christian at the age of 18, so this is a long time ago. I realized quite soon in my journey as a Christian that my 
that ground could best be summed up by me having become the person who, if you know the Simon and Garfunkel song, I am a rock, I am an island, the, uh, those of you my age certainly will know it, but there's a song, I am a rock, I am an island, and a rock feels no pain, and an island never cries. And I realized, I know exactly where I was when I realized that that is how I was in my Christian life. I was not far from the uh, main building of Coventry University. And I remember realizing that and asking God to change me. Not many weeks later, I can't remember how long it was, but it wasn't long. Somebody prayed for me. Uh, they had no idea who I was. I was in a church for one meeting. I'd never been there before. I never went there after. Lady prayed for me, and she prayed into my life saying, God will make you a woman of compassion. God has been working that in me, and he's not finished ever since that day. It's a work that takes time, but God wants to touch us in our emotions so that we love him and we love others. David was a man who worshipped God with his emotions. He followed God and set, God, set, set his heart on God with his emotions. And then we have that aspect of moral activity. Our inmost being feeds what we do. And moral activity certainly was considered as part of the heart. And David, as a younger man, uh, prayed that his actions would honor God. For example, in Psalm 25, verses 4 and 5, we read one of his prayers in, along this line. He says, show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. And much, for much of the time, he did. Uh, he also wrote, didn't he, in Psalm 119, that um, how shall a young man keep his way from sin by uh, hiding your word in his heart? So he knew in some ways, in many ways, what to do. And he longed to do that. But as was said, a man who was weak like we are, a man who was so human, and he did fall. But then we read, uh, that, that's why we can read in Psalm 103, verses 3 and 4, why he could write these verses was because it was personal experience. He says, the Lord, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. It was rooted in personal experience. Just think of the episode with Bathsheba. And some people think that Psalm 51 is written as he confesses, and some people think this Psalm 103 is written as he receives God's forgiveness. But anyway, um, in taking somebody else's wife, uh, somebody who was a friend, it was an ugly episode. He's, he'd, uh, he broke several commandments in just the one go. Don't covet, don't steal, don't commit adultery, do not kill. Because he ended up killing Bathsheba's husband. Sort of manipulated things to get him killed. But nevertheless, David killed him. 
And for a while, David lived as though it wasn't really much that had happened. It was sort of kept in the back there. But then Nathan the prophet came to him. And through telling a parable, David realized his sin. The moment he realized it, he saw it. And he said, I have sinned against the Lord. He repented and he cried out to the God of mercy and compassion. We don't read much of his repentance in the narrative on it in 2 Samuel. But we see it clearly in Psalm 51 verses 1 to 3. Where he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David knew he deserved the pit. Ah, okay. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. That is part of it too. He knew he deserved the worst, but he knew too God was a God of compassion. He knew God was a God who'd forgiven him. And instead of the... The pit, he knew he'd been uh, treated with love and uh, the compassion. And looking a few verses ahead as well, he tells others of the great forgiveness uh, of God. In Psalm 103, verses 10 to 12. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So here is a man who knows what it is both to truly repent and to know the depth of joy that comes from knowing sins are forgiven and taken away. Today, we have so much more that shows us Jesus and how, how he takes away our sin and how he frees us from the past, and how he crowns us with love and compassion and mercy. So what about us? Maybe you haven't taken that first step of coming to Jesus in repentance. Maybe you've never experienced the joy and the freedom that comes as you say sorry to Jesus, and he takes that burden of sin away from you. If that's you, maybe tonight's the night you should speak to somebody. Speak to Adam, speak to myself, or anybody else in leadership. And know what it is to know sins forgiven. Or maybe we do know that our sins are forgiven. But have you really let it sink in of just what joy that brings as you let him cleanse you and take away your sin. That joy of knowing that sin is removed as far as the east is from the west. It couldn't be further removed. And how do we react when we sin? Do we carry on like David did for a while without recognizing it? Or do we respond to the promptings of the Spirit? Or maybe the promptings of friends? And turn to God quickly and step back into that freedom of knowing sins forgiven. 
So that's mind, that, sorry, that's uh, emotions and moral activity, and now mind. David was a man whose faith was rooted in the character of God. So Psalm 103, verses 6 to 8 and verse 17. As you read this, just, I will read it a little bit slower, just stopping on what are the characteristics of God as I read it. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. So he's righteous, he's just. He made known his ways to Moses. So he's a God who reveals himself. The Lord is compassionate. He is gracious. The Lord is slow to anger. He is abounding in love. And from everlasting to everlasting, his love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. So David was a man whose mind was really rooted in God's character. He knew this in the Old Testament. These are things that are all quoted through the Old Testament. And again, how much more do we know when we can look back to Jesus and see so much more of the character of God revealed through Jesus? We need to feed our minds with the goodness and the beauty and the love of God. And another thing that David knew too was his frailty um, in verses 13 to 16. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. So David knew that God knew his frailty, both in the sense of his mortality. He wasn't going to last all that long. We all will come, we all pass away. But he also knew that God knew his frailty in terms of his proneness to sin and wonder. And yet he knows that God has compassion. And just one of these, one example to show how he was when he needed his mind to really um, prompt him in, in a situation. There was one time when he and his transformed army, and this was still before he'd become king, he was living amongst the Philistines, and he and his army had gone off, and they were going to fight with the Philistines, but then the Philistine king said, no way, you're not fighting with us when we're going to be fighting the king of Israel, Saul. The easiest thing you can do is to turn and fight on his side, and we're gone as if you do that. So they sent David and his men back to their encampment. When they got back, that encampment had been looted, raided, and all the women and children had been carried off. After the initial grief where there was wailing, the men that David was with began to turn against him and talked of stoning him. And at that point in time, we read, David encouraged himself in the Lord. And he went with the, those, that knowledge of who God is. That was his rock at that stage. And sometimes we're in those stages, aren't we? We're in those places where the thing that holds us and keeps us 
is the fact that we know the character of God. That has to be our anchor. And that was for David. So our minds, what do we do with our minds? What do we feed them with? There are times when some things will have to go. Different people is different things. For me, when I first became a Christian, it was football that had to go. I was football crazy. You might not think it now. I was. And for a while, I had very little to do with football, simply because that had been my idol. I spent every single penny I could on going to football matches. I had a job to, um, as a waitress to earn money to get to football matches. But it had to stop. It wasn't, a, it, it wasn't even um, something difficult. It just went. And there are things that sometimes we'll have to put aside so that our minds can be filled with what is good and wholesome and helpful. So how rooted is your mind in the character of God? And then the final part of David that I want to look at from this psalm as a man after God's own heart is his will. And come back to that verse I read in Acts where Paul says about David, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Now, obedience can come from one of two sources. It can come from the source of love and respect, or it can come from the source of fear. God obviously wants us to obey from that place of love, doesn't he? And David, in Psalm 103, verses 17 and 18, ties these two together. He says, But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. Jesus also makes that connection, too, between obedience, between the will that says, I will do this, I will obey this command, I will go in God's way. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. It is simple, isn't it? And his commands are not burdensome. His commands are not heavy. I love Psalm 119, verse 32, which says, I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. And as we think normally, we think, how can freedom walk alongside the, the path of commands? And actually running in those paths, running in commands and freedom. And yet it's true, as we go more and more, grow more and more, and run more and more in God's ways, there is a freedom we can run because God has set our hearts free to run in his paths. And just uh, one thing about will and God's will and doing his will. Very often we can get sidetracked, I think. We can be looking for the specific, where should I be doing what God wants me to do? The where and the how or the what can become such a sort of, we want to do it, and it's good to want to do it, but in wanting that that is in the future, we forget to live for God wholeheartedly now. And God's will is that 
We should obey him. We should live for him fully here and now. The other details of the what and the where and the how will come later. But the thing that is important is you, as in why are you? So we have David, a man after God's own heart, heart with emotions, moral activity, mind and will aligned and devoted to God. How do our lives match up? I have mentioned the word free or freedom quite a few times during this talk. Uh, and before I bring this to a close, I would just like to say, if you've not yet done the Living Free course, sign up for it. Next one is October. I've done the first one. It's really good. And a lot of what I've been saying will be covered again there. So Living Free in October. But what I want to do now is to close my part of this by asking um, for a song to be played. It's Take My Will and Let It Be. I want us to sit during this. It's the Chris Tomlin version. And engage with the words as you listen to it. Ask, where is God asking me to be more aligned with what those words are saying? And then Adam will bring this uh, uh, this uh, service to a close. <laughs>